If you are joining us for the first time, uh, we started a couple weeks ago going through starting the book of Matthew. Um, and, and we are actually in the third chapter already. We kind of we went through the first couple chapters, um, but we are going to go through starting in verse 11, and we're going to go through the end of the chapter today. This isn't a natural break uh, normally, but this, kind of, this section uh, gives some context. But real quick, uh, John is baptizing people, just to get up to speed, John is baptizing people and wanting them to understand that the kingdom is coming, uh, something that we have, have never seen before. Um, but it, it needs preparation. The, the heart needs preparation for it. And all these people were coming from all of these regions because they heard this amazing buzz of this new kingdom coming. Enough that the Jewish leaders actually had kind of come along and kind of showed themselves to see what was going on. And, but today, today, we, we, we see this great interaction between Jesus, John the Baptist, and God at the very end. So let's go ahead and read this scripture together. Matthew 3, starting at 11, it says this, I baptize you with water. John's talking to somebody else. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, his willowing fork in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And now our main character comes in the story for the first time. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice of heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. If you are sitting next to your parents right now, um, or you're sitting next to your kids, don't make eye contact for just a second, because I have a question. It might be awkward. Um, How many of you guys, if you were to ask this question, would remember something that you either said to your kid or something your parents said to you that was kind of like negative, that didn't sit well, and you can remember word for word what your parents said? Uh, for some reason, we remember those um, every single time. When somebody says something to me, us in a negative way, uh, we just remember that. But on the flip side, if we remove some of the kind of pride that sits within us, uh, we can probably remember something that was great that was said to us, something that was brought, that our parents spoke life into us, that was kind of moving for us, that kind of gave us maybe direction, encouraged us in that moment. See, as humans, what we say has a huge impact, and actually what we don't say as well, if you, can, if you can think about that. Maybe you've experienced that before. As leaders in our house, what we say to our kids and what we don't say to our kids can make a lasting impact. Us leaders in the job force, how we react to things, what we say to, to our coworkers and what we don't say to coworkers can make a huge impact or it can, it can leave no impact and maybe hurt people in the process. But here's the thing. Because when we name something, 
It is so important when we name something or someone, it gives meaning, direction, and purpose into their life. In February of 2020, uh, I was at a church planning conference just two weeks before the world shut down for a little bit in Orlando, Florida. Um, in between these main sessions, there was like four main sessions. You could go to these things called breakout sessions where there was just a, a slur, just a tons of different uh, topics that you could go to to learn that you might deal with in church planning that are all surrounding things. So I went to things like, like fundraising, like super fun for that, technology, how to set up and tear down, and children's ministry and leadership, maybe a couple of preaching seminars as well. And it was a great time, but there was one moment um, that in this breakout session that I hope I never forget. I went to this leadership breakout um, that was all about how not to burn out when you're church planning, that there's a lot that goes into it. And as a lead pastor or associate or children's, like how in the world do you do this and give it it all and not burn out? Um, but when this person came, uh, this senior pastor came that was supposed to do the talk about burnout, he was completely burnt out himself. The person that was supposed to talk about bur not burning out was devastatingly burnt out. And he didn't know COVID was going to start in two weeks, so I have no idea how he survived. I don't even know what he's doing now. He might not even be in ministry, but I hope he is. But he did something during that that I, that I hope I never forget. He was so burnt out that he couldn't even do his talk that he grabbed a chair and sat down, and we just did Q&A with him. And he was kind of mumbling through, giving us half-truths, half-answers the entire time. But something happened where his team, who most of them were leading worship for that time and doing some other things at the conference, came into the back to see their senior pastor lead this uh, small group. And one of those guys was a guy named Aaron Pelsu. Um, if you've ever went to a CLI growing up or went to anything in our Christian church um, leadership or anything, he's the guy that has been leading worship for like 25 years. He's kind of well-known amongst our time. But for those who, who knew Aaron during that time, it, it was well-known that he had been let go from his previous church because of his age. He was a lead worship minister, and they, this church, specific church, wants young people at the front. So instead of just firing him, they kind of just eliminated his position at the church that he was. And he kind of floundered for a long time. He was very open about how much this hurt him. Um, but when Aaron came into the back, the senior pastor of that time stopped mid-conversation of answering this question. He stood up from his chair really slowly and pointed at Aaron and said this. He said, that guy right there is my friend. He goes, that guy comes to my house every week and we smoke cigars together. And I am so thankful for him. Then he, then he told everybody to stand up in the session and we all clap for the band because they've been doing such a good job. And the entire time, Aaron had this massive smile, like ear to ear grin on his face. He has this massive beard and you could just see him in the back that he was just lighting up because somebody told me that that guy right there is with me. And that senior pastor in that moment knew exactly what his worship minister and his friend needed in that moment where he looked at everybody and he named him in front of everybody to say, Aaron right there, he's my friend and Aaron is with me and I am with him. I hope I never forget that moment. And we kind of see that in our interaction with John and Jesus. When John and Jesus came face to face, when John became or, came, or Jesus came to be baptized, 
You know, John, there was this realization that, hey, this guy that I've been talking about, this guy I've been preparing for, this guy that I've been telling to get everybody to be baptized because somebody's coming, this is the guy. And it said this, when Jesus came down to Galilee from Jordan to be baptized by John, John tried to deter him from saying this, and he said, I need to be baptized by you. Look, man, this is, this is your thing. John realized, wait a minute, like you are the one that needs to be baptizing. I just told everybody that you're going to baptize with fire. I just do it with water. I think it's your time to do this. But Jesus was a master of his words. And he understood that to fulfill John's ministry, and he needed to show his righteousness and invite John into that. So Jesus replied with this, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. See, the use of an inclusive language here that Jesus used towards John, where he turned John's you and I into us, was a way of Jesus bringing John's ministry under and with him as Savior. As though Jesus was pointing to everybody and pointing to John the Baptist in front of all these people and all of these Jewish leaders and saying, hey, this guy right here, he's my friend and he's with me. This is a posture that Jesus uses quite often throughout his ministry where he uses inclusive language. He acknowledges people that normally wouldn't be acknowledged. He points out people and he not only does this with his words, but he does it with his actions as well. But all the while John is, is, is trying and he's or paving the way for Jesus. But Jesus understood that he needed to do this to not only fulfill prophecy, but to bookend and show that what John had been doing has been so important. So it said, then John can consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven opened and, and he saw a spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said this, this is my son whom I love. And, and in with him, I am well pleased. First off in this scripture, what an amazing gift Jesus gave to John. What an amazing gift that Jesus allowed John to be a part of. If you remember in front of the Jewish leaders, he said, you know, I baptize with water for, for, for repentance, to, to open up your hearts for the coming of new. But then the next person who was way more powerful, I can't even hold his sandals, he is that powerful. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. And Jesus showed everything to John that he had been preaching about. He had, been show, he had been preaching and going through the wilderness just by faith, hoping that everything that he had been prepared for his entire life, where he went into the wilderness to be in silence and solitude with God, where he went out preaching and just living off of not just bread alone, but locusts and honey alone, just hoping and praying that everything that he was doing would be in the right faith, that it would come true. And Jesus, in that moment, brought him into the story to show him, like, look, this is the real deal. Your entire life that you've been spending alone in solitude, preparing the way for the coming of the kingdom, this has been complete. You are with me. The second thing that we see here is this. This is where we get our example of baptism. 
We see this here in, in, in this part of Ma- in Matthew, and at the end of Matthew, we see that it is commanded by Jesus to be baptized. But in our Christian faith, we kind of have two sacraments, don't we? We've talked about this before. We have communion and we have baptism. These are the two sacraments that we put in front of people. They're important to people. We push people to do this, right? We, we take communion every single week. And if you're a new believer, we encourage you to be baptized. The reason because of this is it's because it's a communal, a communal event, Not only does it connect us as brothers and sisters in Christ with communion and baptism, but it also connects mankind to its creator. This is how Karl Barth, a German theologian, uh, he kind of lived during World War II. He explained it by this in his commentary on Romans, where there are points in our life where there are two planes that interact and intersect in our life. The, the first plane is our timeline uh, from birth to death, this, this finite plane where we have a timeline of things. And then we have the other plane, which is a infinite plane, something from heaven, something that doesn't, that doesn't interact much often with our plane. But there are certain parts in our life where the, the finite of our life and the other infinite of God interact where something from not from this world comes into this world and penetrates us. See, we believe that baptism and communion are those moments where something not from this world comes into our life and changes us. Many denominations and Christians claim that baptism is this. It's just an outward sign of an inward change. Now, we see that with, with, with John the Baptist because it really is an outward sign of an inward change. It, it is for repentance. I'm going to baptize and I'm going to change my mindset as we learned last week. That is what baptism is. But when Jesus enters the picture, we see that it's so much more than just an inward change. Not only do we see the importance of this, but we see that it can actually make an impact that we see that whenever Jesus was baptized, there was a naming upon Jesus's life. That's why we are baptized after repentance. Repentance is the changing of mind and opening up to what is new, and the new comes through baptism when the new is what God places upon your life. I'm going to pause right here for a second. Parents, leaders, people of this church, If you are not baptized yet and you have faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you to take that next step. I want to encourage you to do that. Not only is it important because scriptures, but it also is important to show if you have kids that this is important. This is important. See, a lot of us that has snuck into the Christian church in America, and especially from American culture, is we don't want to impose things onto our kids my parents did the same thing. They didn't want to tell me what I needed to do for, our, for my life. A lot of us don't want to tell other people, like, this is what you need to do for your life, or this, this is what you don't need to do for our life. And I, and I believe that we don't need to force anybody to do anything. But what I do think that we need to do is we need to lead the next generation and point to it and say, this is good. And there's no better way to do that in your family than you yourself being baptized. But the most beautiful part about this entire story, the most beautiful part is the ending of this story. When God, what God says to Jesus and what what he speaks over him. This is what it said. I'm going to say it, read it one more time. And a voice from heaven said this, this is my son. 
who I am well, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. New Testament scholars differ on whether this was just revealed to John the Baptist and Jesus, or if everyone around heard and saw this moment of the Holy Spirit descending onto Jesus. But since John, the biographer of this, has, knows about it and, and has wrote, written about it and we read about today, it's probably safe to say that the majority of people that are paying attention to the interaction between John and Jesus would have seen this. And this would have completely turned the heads of so many different people because, because God used the phrase that everybody has been wanting to hear their entire life. He said, this is the, pe- the person that I love. I am well pleased with him. And that has been the reason that these people have been following these laws for over 400 years, that have been just living their life by faith with no direction, just following the laws, going above and beyond. And they've been looking for a Savior just to hopes that they finally get broken from the bondage of this world and be viewed in the way that God just spoke about Jesus. And when this phrase has been used for somebody to just walk right in of somebody they didn't overly know and the heavens just be open up to him, that would have turned so many different heads. Who is this guy? Where God goes out of his way to say, this is who I love and he, with him, I am well pleased. See, we know that this was the reason that Jesus was set up for success in ministry. Because God in front of everybody said, hey, everyone, this is my son. I love him. And I'm well pleased with him. I can only imagine what this would have meant to Jesus and to John, the person that had been paving the way his entire life and been preaching that somebody's going to come and he's going to be great and witnessing God come upon Jesus. So my question for you is how powerful is the approval of somebody over your life? How powerful is the words of somebody who brings you into their family? How powerful are the words of somebody that speaks life into you or just says, hey, I am with you or you are with me? How powerful is the affirming love of a father and mother or just a word of encouragement from your superior or just a simple good job? I believe this is a lost power that for some reason we are scared to do in our culture. Or it's a lost art of the church over the years where we take what God said about us and we allow these words through the Holy Spirit to speak life and approval of those around us, especially our kids. Like I said, other, we don't want to impose in people Like, because we live in America, we want people to choose for themselves. But the problem with that is if we let people choose for themselves and figure out things on their own, something else is going to come into their life and choose for them. And most likely, it's going to be the wrong influence in their life. And that's what's going to get a hold of them. And you can apply this to faith principles and non-faith principles in life as well. Our entire consumer generation has been told their entire life that the hole in their soul that they feel, all they need to do is buy something, is, is be a part of something, 
to take something, to take this magical pill, to drink this magical shake, just go on this vacation, and then all of this will be go away. And that empty feeling that you feel inside that you're trying to fill your entire life, it will go away if you just do this. See, our problem is we look at people who do this and our response is, man, I can't believe they're doing that. But the problem with that is that is what the older generations did to us. The older generations, no matter what generation you're a part of, probably didn't like the music that you liked. They probably didn't approve of the way that you dressed. I 100% know that they didn't approve of the Bible translation that you read. Our lingo, whatever, the et cetera, goes, the list goes on, for, on and on forever. But where we are, what we are actually doing in all of those moments where we had our music, where we had the way that we dressed, we had our lingo, we had our, new, our brand, brand new NIV translation for most of us that blew the world up for some reason. What we were doing is we were searching for something. We were searching for meaning. We were searching and we were piecing together our life. We were searching for who we were. And we were trying to figure it out. And what we have now are church leaders that are doing the exact same thing to this current generation and the generation coming up. You know, the sexual revolution, the gender ideologies, the advertising, the drugs, the surgeries, the supplements, the music, the way they dressed, the vacations, the pills, the et cetera, whatever it is, all of them are just searching for something that will give them happiness and peace in their life. And what I have to say for that is as long as they are searching, as long as these things are still going on, instead of just saying, why are you doing that? Let's give them something to actually be a part of. Let's give them an actual option that works, that we all know that works. Let's give them Jesus. In the story, John did the exact same thing where these people have been beating their head against the wall, just trying to get something right, trying to find peace and happiness in their life, just trying to do the law to a T and go above and beyond. And John, John comes into the picture and says, here's a better option. It's not working. Here's a better option. Repent and turn your heart to what is coming that is new. And we have all these people around us that are searching. And instead of getting frustrated with them, let's just insert Jesus into their life. You know, some ministers get up here and they try to be PC about it or they try to say the right thing. And they go, you know what, I don't have the agenda. I'm just going to talk about something that is good. But I have the exact same agenda that John does. I stand up here and I've, I admit I have a full-blown agenda for every single one of you. To, for every single person here to repent and be baptized and, and to sit under a lifelong discipleship under Jesus as Lord so you can actually be forgiven for your sins, so you can actually be removed from the burdens of this world, and you can actually find peace in your life. That is my agenda, and I will stand up here for the rest of my life and preach that. See, when I was in the first grade, I was diagnosed uh, with something called dyslexia. And this is a huge part of my story, and I'm not going to go into uh, full details of it, but it's basically a learning disability where it, there's a wide range of it. But for me, it was reading, writing, and comprehension. So pastor work and preaching is just great for that. But my dad was a saint. 
Every single day when I got home, uh, I didn't I struggled to learn, to keep up, to read. I hated when the teacher did popcorn reading. I think that's of Satan, and we need to rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Teachers don't do that. That's terrible. Horrible. You do what you want. I'm not going to tell you what to. But for me, it was terrible. And uh, what I did is I would just zone out after that because it was so, I just didn't want to do it. I would try to skip over it and, and everything. And my dad would sit down with me for hours every night to reteach me everything that I learned. And I remember there was this night, I remember it vividly, where I was just struggling with this concept of reading. I think it was history, and I had to read and comprehend and then, then write a paragraph, and I just couldn't do it. And I remember looking at my dad, I said, Dad, I am just stupid. I'm never going to get it. And my dad looked at me, he said, you are not stupid. It just takes you a little longer than normal. And every single night for the rest of all the way through high school, he sat down with me. And every time I got frustrated, he reminded me, you are not stupid. It just takes you a little bit longer than normal. I believe if my dad did not do that for me, and it was just between me and the world to try to figure it out by myself, I would have come to a completely different conclusion for my life. And now I read and write for a living. Speak into people's life out of love. Show them the love of Christ. See, that's what my earthly father did for me. But here's what my heavenly father did for me as well. The second story in 2009, I was at a Christian camp, and at the end of the week, I got pulled aside by a guy named Isaac, who said something to me that I'll never forget. He pulled me aside. He said, hey, I think God might be calling you into ministry. Over the next couple of days, will you pray about that? And that's all he said, and he walked away. If it wasn't for somebody to speak truth into my life, to name a purpose in my life, to take what God placed on their life and they saw that into somebody else, then me standing here as a pastor on stage probably wouldn't have happened. Speak truth into the people that you sit next to. If you see something, say it. Don't shy away from it. We have a power living within us called the Holy Spirit that really guides our life And the same words that Jesus has placed on other people's life lives inside of us. And if we see something that Jesus spoke into somebody else's life, we have the ability and the authority to do the exact same thing to our brothers and sisters and to those who do not believe just yet. Both of these stories involve naming something and setting a direction. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. But the hardest part about all all of this is when somebody has already spoken into your life, but it wasn't in a positive way, it was a negative way. It could have been a bad relationship, it could be bad friendships, it could be a bad teacher, bad professor, bad parents, or just literally any interaction that you have come across over your life. You could have bumped into them in Kroger and they said something negative. But for some reason, those things stick out in the front of our mind and we just cannot shake them. We cannot forget about them. But as I say over and over, God, Christ has another option. He has a completely different way. See, here's what God says about you. He said you're accepted. You're a child of God. You're a friend of Jesus Christ. That you have been justified. You've been bought with a price and belong to God now. 
You've been chosen by God and you have been adopted as a child into His family. You've been redeemed and have been forgiven of all of your sins. You have been made complete in Christ. He calls you a masterpiece. You are wise and restored, chosen and holy and blameless before God. He loves you so much that He sent His Son down not to condemn you, but to restore you. To, to name you and place purpose in your life. And when we go before God and, and as the judge, Jesus looks at God and says, hey, he is with me. If you have been writing your own scripts for long enough and you realize it isn't working for me, I need a different option. That option is to follow Christ to be baptized in Him, to become a new creation and be led by the Holy Spirit for the rest of your life and sit under the rule and reign of our Creator. If you have not been baptized yet or your kids haven't been baptized yet, one, if you have not been baptized, I encourage you to have a conversation with me, Drew, Lisa, Alyssa. Pick a person in here and have a conversation with them about baptism. If we need to put a pool out front next week, I will. I will buy a pool, I'll fill it up out there, and we will baptize every single person in here because it is important. And if your kids haven't been baptized enough and they're old enough that you think they can understand, have a conversation with them. Or call me, I'll have a conversation with them. And the same applies to them. I will take a pool outside and I will baptize them. And if you want us to hold them down just a little longer to make sure everything is covered, we'll do that for you. We'll make sure to take, tell them to take a deep breath. but I would encourage you. Allow God to speak truth into you. Allow Him to speak life into you. Just like God did to Jesus and Jesus does to all of us. And through that, speak life in the people to your left and to your right. Speak life into your kids. Guide them and hold their hands and as you go through life, point out the things that are important. Say, hey, this is good. We need to do that, just as Jesus did. So God, as we come before you, if there's somebody in here that hasn't been baptized yet, they haven't repented, changed their mindset, opened their heart to something that is new, God, I encourage you to place on their heart that they need to be baptized into you. And just as the Spirit fell upon Jesus, I believe that the Spirit will fall upon us and we will be a new creation in you and we will be viewed as holy and blameless before God where our sins are forgiven and we will actually find peace. And for those that are trying to become leaders in our household, I, I, I pray that we have the strength to point out the things that are important in your eyes and not of this world to our kids to take the time to read the scriptures with them, to pray with them. And when someone is baptized, we say, hey, that is important and that's something that we need to engage in. And take communion and, become, and have a fellowship with our brothers and sisters of Christ and say, look, that is important. We do that every single week because of your son. God, I pray that we don't rely on our own words and our own ways, but we rely on you and what you say about us so that we can in turn go to people and, and share with them what your son says about us so that we can say it to them as well. God, thank you for being with us. Thank you for stories like this. 
and I ask this all in your son's name. Amen.